It's a joy to be with you this morning. Our history with the church actually goes back many, many years. Glenn Cullen and the church with where DJ Dickey was before that helped us out from the very beginning. But as time has gone on, things have changed and we haven't had an opportunity to visit you as much. And so we're very glad to be here this morning. This morning, I'm going to be speaking on biblical principles of missions, uh, a very rich and broad theme, and I'm not going to be able to say everything I'd like to say this morning, but feel free to stay in contact, and if you want to have more specifics about some of the things I say. Just plugged in the mic. (laughs) So we're... We're on now. I'll be speaking on biblical principles of missions. And if you want to know more about some of the things I say, please feel free to write to me. Later on, I'll be giving a report. And if you're not getting our newsletter personally and would like to get it, let Vicki know and she'll put you on. All right. Biblical principles of missions. We use that word mission. And the word mission comes from the Latin missio, which means sending. That's a primary meaning. We'll be looking at a text where sending is central and sending is the heart of missions. So we'll be looking at Romans 10 from verses 13 through 17. And I commend the whole chapter for you uh, and from verse 9, but we'll be reading from verse 13. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. We're going to be considering then biblical principles of missions, and we see missions here in that word, how shall they preach unless they are sent. We'll be concentrating on this text first, but then we'll be supplementing this text with others to unpack what all is involved in the sending. We'll consider, firstly, why should we be sending missionaries? Then we'll consider what should missionaries be doing, who is to be sent, where they are to be sent, and how they are to be sent. And you'll very clearly see biblical truth about missions, and you'll recognize that. And we trust God will help us to be committed and bound together in this glorious enterprise. But at the same time, you'll see yourselves because you've been sent here as a church in this community according to these principles as well. Well, let's first consider why should we be sending missionaries? 
And the first thing I would say is for the glory of God that Christ would be proclaimed. And as Christ is proclaimed, wherever he's proclaimed, God is glorified. And that should really be our starting point. And you see in this text, in verse 15, it says, How will they preach unless they are sent, just as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. And that's a quote and an allusion further to Isaiah 52, and I'll read the text to you. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace. So this is happening, and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation, and says to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. They shout joyfully together. And now there's praise going out to God because Jesus is being proclaimed. For they will see with their own eyes when the Lord restores Zion. Break forth, shout joyfully together, you waste places of Jerusalem. God is glorified when Christ is proclaimed. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. God is glorified when his people are saved. The Lord has bared his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. And so as we consider this text, as we do this, God is glorified. Christ is proclaimed, and that should be on our heart. But let's look a little further. This text has a series of rhetorical questions. And a rhetorical question is a question that presupposes a particular answer. And so let's read this text and supply the expected answer. 10.14, well, 10.13, 10, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And the answer is, they won't. They can't. How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? They can't. And how will they hear without a preacher? They can't. And how will they preach unless they are sent? It's, it's not going to happen. They can't. Those are the implied answers. And so we need to be sending missionaries that Christ would be preached, that sinners would hear and believe and call upon the Lord and be saved. The text is telling us that sinners will not be saved unless we're involved in sending. Now we understand and know that God is sovereign. And we understand that God will save his people. But we need to seriously take the truth into consideration that God works sovereignly through means, and we are the means that he uses. William Carey, a modern father of missions, was very excited about going and ministering and preaching to those who have not called. And his older brothers or brethren 
in reformed circles were tolding, telling him the stories go that he was too wrought up about all this and that he was too excited and that God will save his heathen, this heathen in his own way and that William shouldn't be so concerned about such things. And then William uh, preached a message on the use of means in the conversion of the heathen. And so it's very important that we understand that sending is one of the ways that God works that people would be saved. And so those two reasons are, man, that's a lot. The glory of God and that sinners would be saved. But then there's an implicit call. This is not an imperative, meaning it's not a direct command, but there's an implicit call. So if we're really going to be obedient and we want to be obedient, we need to be involved in sending. Three reasons, and we could even add more. Now, let's consider first, from this text, what is the primary mission of missions? <laughs> what should missionaries be doing? And it's really clear. You don't need to go to Westminster Theological Seminary or read books by Dewey Veard. I saw books by Dewey Veard in my host's library. That's pretty sophisticated stuff. Well, you don't need to be very sophisticated to see what the main task of missions is. Let's take a look at it. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? So the primary task of missions is that people hear about Christ. And how will they hear without a preacher, someone who's preaching? And how will they preach unless they are sent? And so hearing in verse 14, someone who preaches in verse 14, preaching in verse 15, and then verse 17. So faith comes from hearing in hearing by the word of Christ. It is absolutely clear here what the primary task of missions should be. The primary task of missions should be preaching Christ, ministering the word. We're going to see later that there are things that are inseparably tied to that, and we're going to see that there's plenty of room and need for helping roles so that preaching take place. But Everything that's in missions should be revolving around presenting Christ, preaching Christ. And this text settles it. What should the preacher be preaching? Well, he should be preaching Christ in this text. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, earlier in verse 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus and then confessing Christ, and then hearing Christ. How shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And then verse 17, faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. And so we need to be presenting Christ. Now, of course, that presupposes, why do we need to be pre pre presenting Christ? Because we have a problem. 
and we're in sin and we can't come out of sin without Christ. And we have a problem that we're separated from God and we can't be reunited to him without Christ. We need to be preaching Christ and we need to be preaching Christ from the whole Bible, from the beginning to the end, because that's why God has given us his word to direct us to his plan of salvation, to direct us to him, and we can't come to him except from Christ. Then also from other texts, we need to know that we need to preach the whole counsel of God, all of scripture. So Paul, who wrote this in Romans, he preached to the unbelievers in Ephesus, and many came to know Christ, and a church was established in Ephesus. And then in Acts 20, he calls together the leaders, the elders of the church in Ephesus, to meet with them one last time, and he reviews what he did with them and amongst them when he was with them for three years. And I commend that portion of scripture to you to see the first pastor's conference that we have recorded and what was central. And you'll see in that text that the ministry of the word was central. And then he talks about he didn't refrain from preaching the whole counsel of God, not just what they wanted to hear, not just what was the easiest to understand, but preachers, even in a missionary context, should be preaching the whole counsel of God. And we know that because that's what Paul says he did. The one who gives us this word explains in Acts 20 that that is what he did. When we consider Paul's missionary journeys, we have the centrality of preaching and missions confirmed. So Paul sent on the first missionary journey, and then returning from the first missionary journey, and in Acts, when we look at Acts 14 and 15, uh, and we see what he was doing, Acts 13, we see that he was preaching the word. Everywhere he went, he preached the word. He, he didn't set up how to sew tents or workshops on how to sew tents. Maybe he helped somebody learn how to sew a tent. Uh, that's quite possible, but that was not the focus. He didn't set up uh, Greek philosophy discussion classes. You know, he did discuss Greek philosophy and that entered into the discussion. He didn't promote uh, what is the best government to have. He didn't promote seminars on how can we minister, how can we affect change in government. But what he did do as a missionary was preach. And we really see that all through the missionary journeys. Now, at this point, I want to just pause. We're considering what should the missionary be doing primarily? What's the first task the missionary should be doing? And that is, what is it? Yeah, preaching. All right. Now, some modern day evangelicals would object to that. And they would say, well, that, that's really not true. And there's all kinds of objections. And since we're on the mission field, we see them. When we first came to Montenegro, we, be, we were the third group of missionaries that came, the third church planting work. And then no one else came for a long time. But then in the past 10 years, we've seen lots of people coming. And I really see what's going on in missions. I have a first 
person view of that. And preaching of the word is not the primary thing that often takes place. But even even more so is, is here in the United States, there's a lot of objections that are raised. And I've, I'm going to mention two. Well, it's okay to preach, but you really need signs and wonders to confirm the word. All right. Have you ever heard of that? And, and then the other objection is, well, preaching is really outdated by now. People just don't have an attention span that can follow a developed argument and, and you need to get something a lot easier in multimedia. And, and it's interesting that people who make those arguments think they're being very modern. You know, They've analyzed the situation and they, they say, in these modern times, what we need are signs and wonders, and we need something with more emotional excitement than preaching. But you know, those arguments were there in Paul's day, and Paul faced those very arguments. In 1 Corinthians, I'll read for you. For indeed, Jews demand signs. That's what he said. The Jews are saying, Paul, we want to see signs and wonders. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks seek wisdom or search for wisdom. That was the objection in Paul's day. And what did he say? But we preach Christ, crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God, in quotation marks, is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So in the midst of a demand for signs and wonders, and in the midst of the fact that there were still signs and wonders taking place in those days, Paul said, no, signs and wonders are not necessary. You know, what is necessary is the preaching of Christ. And then those who disagreed with him thought that was foolish. Even those who call themselves believers. And yet God says, you think that's foolish, but that's what I'm doing. And I'm going to save people through the preaching of Christ without signs and wonders. Now, we know the greatest sign and wonder is the conversion of the heart that was dead and is now brought to life. The other argument that people need something more exciting. People need some drama, a big pageant. Well, you know, every Greek city and every Roman city in Paul's day had an arena or a circus or an amphitheater or a stadium. And they were especially built by Augustus. And so they were very prevalent in Paul's day. And there were chariot races and gladiators, and they would flood the arenas with water and have naval combat in them. And the Greeks developed drama to an extremely high level. Aristotle wrote poetics, or threefold unity, that is used today in drama school. And so the Greeks were very familiar, and the Romans were very familiar with drama as a cultural medium. And the citizens where Paul went preaching were very familiar with gladiatorial combat and circuses. And did Paul say, well, I really need to take culture into consideration here. 
the people are really used to drama, all right? And, and they're used to elaborate drama, and they gather in these amphitheaters, and they have these cranes that bring, you know, the gods up and down and all kinds of things. Let's adapt that. Let's use something from culture and adapt it for good and, and help the people understand the gospel through this visual means. That would have been extremely cultural. And, I, and I'm not making this, I mean, that was true. But did Paul ever do that? No, he didn't. Now, I'm not saying there's no place to enjoy drama. I'm not saying that. And I'm not saying there's no place to enjoy some kind of entertainment as Christians. Uh, there's certainly a place for that. But as the primary means for communicating Christ, the primary means, we need to understand that it's preaching and that, that God has given us preaching and that God has promised to work through preaching in a special way that he hasn't promised to work through other means. And so in this text, how shall they preach unless they are sent? And then in verse 17, we have an important truth and a great encouragement. Faith comes from hearing. Faith is from hearing. And hearing by the word. And then Christ or of God, depending on the, on the manuscripts. But God uses preaching to give faith to people. And, and you know, we, we enter into a marvelous paradox because we know we're dead in trespasses and sins. And we know that we can't, out of death, call on Christ. Well, how can anyone come to be saved? Well, God has to change their heart. Well, how does God change people's hearts? He uses the word. He uses the Holy Spirit. And the word is a means that God uses to bring dead hearts to life. And that should be of great encouragement to us. And God does this today. And that is a greater sign than what others would call signs and wonders. We have the Philippian jailer, you know, not even hearing much of the word, but seeing Paul and Silas and crying out, what must I do to be saved? We have the people when... Peter is preaching in Acts 2, and hearing the word, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? We have in Acts 13, on the first missionary journey, as Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them next Sabbath. And, and so we need to have that confidence but also that expectation as we are presenting the word of God, that God will work in people to give them a desire to hear. And I can say God has used this in Montenegro. When, and I'll repeat this, 30 years ago, there was not a single Protestant church in Montenegro. And then about 28 years ago, two churches were started in the capital city. We became the third church planting work. Now there are seven each of those seven churches, including us, the primary thing that the missionaries did was ministering the word. Now, we've had a lot of other missionaries that have come and gone that have tried to do other things. And 
nothing has remained that's visible from them. So God has used the ministry of the word on one hand. On the other hand, there's a much misunderstanding and not a sufficient understanding of how important that is even still amongst some of the missionaries in Montenegro. So sometimes we get accused, the church in Nikšić, oh, that church, that's the one that's always into the Bible. <laughs> and, and frankly, we'll own that. <laughs> you know, of course, we're into Christ to whom the Bible points. So that very clearly is the primary task that the missionary should be doing. And that's very clear, isn't it? And always refer to this text and you'll be reminded. I want to mention briefly that there are other things the missionary is doing that are connected to the preaching of the word. Planting churches, discipling, pastoring. And again, we see that in the first missionary journey, Acts 13 and 14. We see that as the word is preached, people come to Christ and then elders are selected and a church is established. We also see that churches that were established in the first missionary journey are strengthened in the second missionary journey. So uh, inseparably linked to preaching is a church being raised up and all that's involved in that, pastoring and ministering, and then strengthening an existing work is a missionary task. And then strengthening leaders who lead churches is a missionary task. So we see Paul gathering the elders in Acts 20 and having a pastor's conference. Sometimes, and this is important, sometimes a period of time can transpire from when the missionary comes to when he's actually preaching the word and a church is being established. Uh, some of those things take time from the missionaries and learning the language, very important, that can take a long time, getting acclimated to the culture. Uh, and then some things in God's providence take a long time. God works different ways in different cultures and people coming to Christ may take a long time, but we shouldn't give up and think that the means that he's given us are not adequate, but we need to keep doing and using the means that God gives us. And then I wanna consider helping roles. We very clearly see that the primary task is preaching, but when we look at scripture, they're not highlighted, but we can definitely see helping roles so that the word may be preached. Let's start with Jesus, our Lord himself. Jesus asked the disciples to help to go prepare a place to eat the Passover meal. Someone carried the bag for money. Somebody was supposed to go and do something about food. Uh, in Luke 8, I see that you're reading through Luke and you're almost at this portion, if you're reading it consecutively. In Luke 8, we see there's a bunch of people following Jesus and then around Luke 8, 2 and 3, it mentions a bunch of women who are following with Jesus. And he says that those women, and he names some, and then he says there were many more. And he says they were helping with material things. And so Jesus had many people following along who were helping. 
In Acts 6, we see others helping with food distribution so that the ministry of the word can take place. We see in Acts, the we section, where Luke is switching to a third person, to a first person plural, we, and we see lots of people coming and going. And we see some are bringing financial aid when Silas and Timothy were come from Macedonia. Paul was moved in the spirit, but Silas and Timothy came to provide something to Paul. We see people helping Paul with shipping arrangements. We see people helping Paul in secretarial work, doing writing of the letters. We see Stephanatus and Fortunatus and Achaicus in Acts 16 coming and refreshing Paul. I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have supplied what was lacking on your part, implying finances, for, and also for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore acknowledge such men. In 2 Timothy, the Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me. We have couriers carrying letters back and forth. Whatever was needed, people were helping out. And missionaries often need a lot of help. And things often take longer and are harder to do in the places that missionaries are at than how you're used to doing things in the United States. And so there is a legitimacy to helping roles, but those helping roles are so to help that the word be preached. And if the word is not being preached at all, then those helping roles are useless. And so we need to consider both positively that it is good and we should be involved in helping, but at the same time, that the word of God should be primary in those matters. Uh, then you can also consider that much will flow from the preaching of Christ and the church that is raised up will do much good to the community that the missionary himself is not doing personally. So we should do good as Christians and uh, Jesus tells us, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. Let us do good to all. The ministry of the word produces all kinds of good works. And so good works should be taking place and helps and uh, uh, relief and humanitarian help to those in need should be taking place. But that should be more taking place and it will be a stronger witness as it's taking place from the church that's established than from the missionary trying to do all those things. And so that is a helpful view of this. Those are the tasks that the missionary should be doing. And then we'll consider briefly, because it's so obvious, who is to be sent. Back to our text. Who should be sent in missions primarily and firstly how will they hear without a preacher and how will they preach unless they are sent and so preachers should be sent and as we see how did this actually take place how did it look in the book of acts in acts 13 paul and barnabas 
are sent out from Antioch. In effect, elders from a local church amongst the best, proven, mature preachers, pastors, elders should be sent out. And we need to take that seriously. Uh, you know, a lot of times we have good-natured young Christians. I want to go to the mission field. I don't know what else I'm going to do in life. I can't do anything else, you know, but I, I want to be a missionary. Well, that's good. <laughs> and and Vicky and I had that testimony when, we're, when we were young, but then we were told very appropriately, well, you really need more life's experience. <laughs> you really need more theological training and you need more church experience as well. And those, that was very, very good counsel. But we should take that into consideration. At the same time, for helping roles, there's less of the maturity that's required and, and ability. Uh, but, but then churches have limited resources. And so, you know, we need to focus resources on preaching and, as we're able to, help those who will help those to preach. Where should missionaries be sent? Well, they should be sent where Christ has not been heard. And so that should have a high priority. How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? But then, as we see in Acts, we see that missionaries are also sent to strengthen existing works. So that's where they should be sent. And then let's consider how they are to be sent. And from this, we don't have the details in Romans 10, but we have many details throughout Scripture. So how should missionaries be sent? They should be sent from the local church. Our sending church is Faith Community Church in Southern California, and Oxnard Carroll was there. Uh, and, and then Richard Sherido, who's one of the elders there, has preached amongst you when you've had need. But preachers, uh, missionaries, should be sent from the local church and then in cooperation with other local churches. Paul was sent out from the church in Antioch. In Acts 13, on the first missionary journey, along with Barnabas, and then he returned to Antioch in Acts 14. And then he was sent out on the second missionary journey from Antioch, Acts 15. There was an issue with Paul and Barnabas, so Paul and Silas went out, and then Paul returned to Antioch in Acts 18. And then he was sent out on the third journey, of which we don't have details. But this is a very important principle. If Paul, who was uniquely gifted by the Holy Spirit, didn't presume to go out by himself, I don't need a church. If Paul didn't do that, how much more so is that the case today when we don't have the Holy Spirit giving us apostles such as Paul was? And so missionaries should be identified and sent out by the local church and then we see in scripture in cooperation with other local churches. So Paul is uh, continually mentioning the help that he received financially, particularly from Macedonia and the Philippians, but uh, help from Thessalonica, 
and from Corinth and other churches, writing to Corinth, he says, I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to serve you. And so we see uh, a, a good missionary culture amongst churches helping each other out. And then we very much appreciate you all helping us out. So we were sent out by Faith Community Church in cooperation with you and with other local churches. Normally, it's ideal to send missionaries out in numbers. So we have the we sections in Acts, lots of people coming and going. That's not always possible, and that's not a that's not a command, but it's a good it's a good thing. Missionaries should be supported with prayer, and in his missionary letters, and you know Paul wrote missionary letters, right? Those are the epistles. Did you ever think of that? Those are missionary letters that Paul wrote as he was on the mission field. Paul requests prayer. Finally, brethren, pray for us. 2 Thessalonians 3, 1, that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you, and that we may be delivered from perverse and evil men. And in Ephesians 6, 19, Colossians 4, 2, 1 Thessalonians 5, 25, Paul asks for prayer. And again, if Paul needed prayer, how much more do I need prayer? At least that's the way I see it. <laughs> and, and the way we as missionaries need prayer today. Uh, we need to support missionaries with practical help. Those helping roles that I mentioned. With refreshment. We need to help with finances. And the word sending in other portions of scripture presupposes when you send somebody, you also are active financially. So Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, you know, perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way. And then in 3 John, it says, send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. And that's presupposing that they don't have needs. Paul wasn't embarrassed to talk about money, he gives an appeal to the church in Rome that he had never visited about finances. Most missionaries can benefit from financial help. And I'll say a little bit about our situation in the report. The sending church should have a particular responsibility for that, but other churches can really cooperate in that task. <clears throat> So that are, those are some things to consider in sending. A lot of material here. We've been considering biblical principles of missions. Why should we be sending missionaries that Christ would be proclaimed, that God would be glorified? And in your local ministry, when you proclaim Christ, God is glorified. That sinners will come to know Christ, that we can show obedience. You all have been helping us to do this, and God has been pleased to save sinners in Nixich, Montenegro, and Christ has been proclaimed, and God has been glorified. So we thank you very much for all that you've done, and I believe there's more to be done and we haven't been great in staying in touch with you, so we really thank Ben for reaching out, Pastor Ben. And, and we want to work together to have that missionary culture 
that that we're not only or merely missionaries that you're helping support, but together we're working for the glory of God in Montenegro. And may God help us to establish that good missionary culture that we see in the Bible with with us and with other like-minded churches. May God be praised. Amen. I'll pray. Lord, help us in this. Help us to glorify you and to work together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.